755 is real with David O'Brien and Eric O'Flaherty. Welcome, welcome to 755 is real. I'm David O'Brien, Braves writer for The Athletic with my co-host Eric O'Flaherty out in Seattle. What's happening, Eric? I uh, just dropped my phone in the toilet. Well, there you go. Good start. Yeah. The, good start to the podcast. But it's a, it's waterproof, I guess. Eleven's waterproof, so we're good. Oh shit! Yeah, if you'd have done it to that? one of the earlier ones, you'd be screwed, man. They put in rice and all that. I did anyway. You're just testing it. Yeah, See, it worked. It's good. Can confirm it. Yeah, they're supposed to be able to dip them in water for like a couple seconds, right? At least. Yep, it works. That's awesome. That's good for my Apple stock. Yeah. All right. We have got a really special guest today, folks, and I think you're gonna, you guys are gonna really agree with me that his story is fascinating and unique and kind of personifies the radical changes in baseball player development in recent years, uh, along with the use of research and analytics, biomechanics to build better players and try to keep them healthy. It's Kyle Bodie, the 36 year old founder of Driveline Baseball. Uh, he's also a college dropout, a former Microsoft tech whiz out in Seattle, a former Little League coach who used analytics to help his kids draw a lot of walks and hit a lot of home runs, and a former poker and internet gambling guru who made and burned through a lot of money as a professional kind of internet gambler before the Fed shut down that operation. More on all <laughs> that in a moment, but here he is, Kyle Bodie. Welcome to the show, man. Oh, it's good to be. That's a hell of a cold open, man. That's a that's a lot. To, that's, a, that's a lot to stand up to. I mean, it's all correct. It's all true. Jeez. There you go. We're all about the facts here. <laughs> For those uh, unfamiliar, Kyle's Driveline Baseball is a sort of baseball performance lab think tank outside Seattle, where pitchers have flocked annually to improve their their velo and to shape their sliders and so on. And now also, I guess in recent years, hitters have also started going out there to kind of hone the perfect swing, right? Yeah, it's definitely, you know, hitting and pitching. Uh, we did a little, little bit with quarterbacks, actually, um, some college guys, but it's primarily baseball, yeah. But last October, there was a, another very interesting development, though, in your story that created a lot of buzz around baseball. You were hired by the Cincinnati Reds on a two-year contract to be their director of pitching initiatives and pitching coordinator. Is that right? That title? <laughs> That's right. Yep. The second part of the title is kind of one we're familiar with. We'll explain the first part, director of pitching initiatives. Yeah. So my, uh, one of my, the first big leaguers I coached, uh, is the director of pitching there. He's like the assistant, uh, big league pitching coach, Caleb Cotham. Um, and so he's pretty much, uh, you know, he's the guy that oversees a lot of the work along with DJ, you know, our big league pitching coach, uh, and so then they wanted to kind of come up with something where I'm working, you know, I'm in charge of the minor league stuff, but they also want to make sure that, uh, you know, I'm having an impact on the front office side. So I'm involved in scouting player development, you know, in the spring, I was flying to LA to see some players, some international players, as well as domestic. Um, so I have, you know, touched a lot of stuff in pitching. So it was just came up with the title that we were kind of kicking around and we're like, yeah, that sounds good. So there you go. That's what it ended up with. All right, so how were things going with that this spring before baseball got shut down? And and have you been able to stay busy since then, kind of keeping and staying in touch and, and, and tracking the workouts for your pitchers? Yeah, it's, it was it was going great. You know, that was the brutal part of it. You know, everyone, obviously, hope is, is high for every team. 
Um, but we were doing a ton of new stuff on the pitching and the hitting side. Yeah. Uh, and so to see all that kind of go away so quickly, I was just, you know, rapping back and forth with the minor leaguer on Twitter this morning, actually, um, about like that. And so it was, it was frustrating, you know, but, you know, at the end of the day, uh, a lot of what I did at driveline and helped set up was a lot of our remote training. Um, uh-huh. And so that's, that's where we're at now. Uh-huh. So, you know, so honestly, we feel like we could be in a really good spot uh, coming out of this, whatever that looks like. And I guess it gives your young guys and well, all your guys kind of time to think about all the stuff you've been teaching them too. this kind of this uh, shutdown, this pause uh, and kind of apply it to what they're doing, huh? Not yeah, really. you know, a lot of them, yeah, they got uh, their player plans. You know, our front office does a great yeah. job of of talking to us about that. So, you know, there's there's time that they can spend, you know, developing their stuff, uh, which is, is a blessing and a curse. But, you know, we've been in constant contact and set up the systems for all that. Is there a kind of a primary uh, initiative, for lack of a better word, or two that you stress to Reds pitchers? Maybe something that they do differently than what they're different than what they are accustomed to? What, what would a lot be of it is a, just yeah no a lot of it is just putting numbers to a lot of the old school stuff uh-huh. that was there you know and it's a lot about bringing people over from the big league side to help translate that because they got that started you know a year and a half ago with Derek Johnson and those right. guys you know so it's about bringing over a Michael Lorenzen a Trevor Bauer you know Luis Castillo uh, anyone right so then they can say hey it's not different this is just how I see it now this is how it's helped me and you know you got a brainiac like Bauer. And a dude that's jacked out of his mind like Lorenzen. You know, they're mm-hmm. two very different people, but similar mentalities. So when they both talk at the same time, there's something for everyone that can resonate however they want, you know. How valuable or important was uh, Trevor Bauer to to you being there? I mean, he's obviously one of your disciples, a guy that's preached, just praised your everything that he's uh, been able to do out there and his because he's practically lived there in the offseason, right? How, how important yeah. was it to you, the, the, you guys being together? Uh, you know, it, it, we actually talked maybe once or twice about it. I just, uh-huh. I, okay. I asked him a couple questions, you know, I had multiple offers and so I just went to him and I tried not to talk to people that were in the Reds organization that I also knew just because of, I don't want to put him in a bad spot, you know, right. so I, I talked to DJ a little bit and, uh, but you know, I'm not going to sit here and lie and say it played no role. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, Trevor said it's he's in the same spot, you know, as a pre or, you know, going through the arbitration process. He's like, look, you just got to do what's best for you, best for your career, because that's what I'm going to do. Trevor's like, I'm not going to he's I'm doing what's best for me, you know, so <laughs> yeah, we he's know like, that. I'm not going to ask you. Yeah, he's like, I'm not going to ask you to do something that I wouldn't, you know, so but right. he's like, hey, here's what I really like about it. You know, here's what I what I don't like. Here's what the changes I see. And at the end of the day, that was that was uh, that was a piece of the puzzle. Yeah, for sure. The fact that you took a job with an MLB organization, obviously that does that means that they've bought into your idea that the conventional model of MLB player development in a lot of ways was broken and you knew how to fix it, right? Because that's what you said you were going to do. Yeah, in a sense. You know, a lot of it was the right ideas. Uh, it's not that, uh, you know, you're trying to fix it, but it's about – just try to roll out some new new ways of thinking about it. And it's yeah. like, you know, we got some awesome coaches. We kept, you know, the majority of the coaches. And it's about just developing a system. You know, it's like I told them from day one, like, they're all better coaches than me. I'm not going to sit here and say, yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, they've been doing it right. for a lot longer. They got more experience. They, most of them played in the big leagues. Uh, so they're, they're all better pitchers. No, they're all well, way better pitchers, yeah. but they're, they're all better coaches. Yeah. It's like, look, I've just been able to develop a system over the top. So it's a support gotcha. role for me. That's how I see it. It should be noted. You took this job while maintaining your position at driveline, which is unusual a little bit, but that was important to you, right? Cause you, what you're doing there 
uh, is you value, right? You didn't want to just completely go into one team and be limited to that. You want to still be able to do what you do out there working with guys. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's as, as Eric can tell you, I wasn't really directly involved in training a lot of the athletes anyway. I mostly just stood right. in there and shot the shit with the guys and, uh, <laughs> set up the systems. You know, my job was to just give them all the resources they needed, back them up. Um, and you know, have my ideas kind of propagate, but I, I'm, you know, certainly willing to be challenged. There's a ton of things that, um, you know, people challenge me on that I've moved on. So it's me just be, I just, like I said, I see it as a support role. Eric, hey, what, you, what did well, you think, Eric, when they hired him? I mean, you obviously are familiar with 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 uh, Kyle from being out of driveline when you went out there. Uh, well, I liked Kyle. I, what he was saying earlier, you know, and and being humble enough and and honest enough to say that, um, you know, those those big league coaches know the game and mm-hmm. they're better coaches than him. That was one thing that was a really pleasant uh, surprise because you you know on both sides of this analytics versus um, you know old school new school coaching debate and all this stuff. Um, there's a lot of resentment, you know, and, and it could come from either side. Um, and I was really pleasantly surprised how much Kyle respected the the big league level. When I got there, it was like, hey, you're a big leaguer. We know you know what you're doing. You know, there, it was just there was a level of respect that I really appreciated when I went and trained there. And I noticed, um, you know, they, they treated a lot of the big leaguers really well. Um, but, you know, one thing that I was really curious about was how he was going to adjust going into baseball and if there was going to be. Um, when I saw him get hired, if there was going to be that resentment um, or or if the coaches were going to be accepting of him, because I knew he was going to go in and respect what they were able to do. But you never know if, you know, you're going to be accepted the same way, especially coming from a different background and and not being involved in professional baseball yet and then jump into that high of a position. So that's that's kind of what I wanted to ask you, Kyle, was how did you feel, um, you know, just like in the in the coaches locker room and all that stuff? How did you feel? um did you feel accepted and, and was it a warm welcome or, or do you feel like there's going to be, you're going to have to prove yourself and, and all that, you know, how's that dynamic? Yeah. You know, it's, I got lucky. I, I think they did a ton of legwork and I got DJ to think for most of that because, you know, he came in and he comes from a, you know, non-traditional background too. So he was in a lot of, he faced a lot of the fire first, I think, uh, mm. and set the tone. Um, and then, you know, the big thing is we, we flew everyone in uh, to Arizona in the winter uh, before we all got together in spring so we could get together and we had arguments, man. We, we laid it out. Um, you know, we, we did a lot of education ahead of time, you know, like, what are you guys comfortable with? And you know me, I'm, I'm pretty much, I'm just trying to distill what they're doing down and uh, make it a system. You know, like you guys are a bit like, we got, a, you know, a guy like James Baldwin pitched a long time in the big leagues, right? A Seth Atherton, mm-hmm. who is one of the greatest college pitchers ever, right? Pitched some big games, you know, USC, Florida state, right? Some big games in his career, right? Played for some of the best coaches, John Savage. Yeah. So to, to, to find out, you know, and then he injured himself, used to be, a, you know, a flamethrower first rounder, right? To a guy that had to rely on secondary stuff in command. He had to change his entire, you know, way that he went about things. He pitched overseas. He pitched in the big leagues. He pitched for multiple minor league organizations. You know, he, he was everywhere. So it's like, you know, Seth, what are you doing? You know, he coached college ball, right? So just getting all that, and figuring out how we can teach everyone because, you know, Seth has one of the best, you know, split changes, you know, fork ball, palm ball type pitches in the big leagues, you know, since everyone still asks me what, you know, Oh, you work with Atherton. You got show, He's got to show you the palm ball. And I'm like, yeah. all right, fine. <laughs> so it's like, he's got a real understanding of off speed stuff because he also threw a changeup, Right. So it's like, what was it about that? Let's have him. He still throws, have him throw a bullpen, get him on the rap soda, find out what's going on. Right. Damn, and connect that's cool. that. 
And then, oh, it was, and Seth, and we were throwing live at bats. I was throwing live at bats to the hitters. Seth was throwing live at bats to the hitters. Um, <laughs> and it was a blast, right? Because the hitters are like, oh, damn, this guy, you know, this Seth, he coaches double A. I think I know mm-hmm. who it is. I'm like, yo, man, you don't, this guy's one of the best NCAA pitchers ever. You yeah. know, like you, mm-hmm. they just, they don't know, right? They, and yeah. so it's not a big, it's not like Seth takes offense or whatever, but it's like, oh, man, oh, tell us about that. You know, tell us about the, and it's not about opening the yearbook or this or that. It's just about connecting with the players in the best way they can. So a lot of it is relating that experience to the players and then Seth being open, you know, to that, you know, or Chris Booker who, you know, was in the big leagues quick and then blew up his shoulder. Right. And then, and then he's like, I didn't take care of my body. It took me two years to come back Took two and a half years to get my velocity back. Tell that story. Tell that story. You know what that's like, right. And you've been around guys like that. You've done it yourself. Right. So tell that story. (laughs) Right. So it's, and then it's like, now how does that play into a system? So instead of just Booker being at Greenville Billings, wherever, you know, and that being siloed, let's get it all into one area and let's get it, you know, how we're going to discuss those things. And it starts, you know, it just starts with respect. So honestly, yeah, there were some battles up front, uh, but at the end of the day, you know, it, it ended up being really good. DJ that he's talking about for you folks, you older folks, it's not uh, the former Celtics and Sonics and Suns guard. It's Derek Johnson, the pitching coach with the Reds. That was important, right, that you had that relationship with him because there, are, I would think there were some teams that you, you would go into where it maybe wouldn't be as ideal um, with a more of a traditional pitching coach or whatever that kind of looks like, what is this guy going to teach us? Yeah, it was big because, you know, DJ Derek is a, is a, he's probably now an old school guy, which is, it's kind of funny. You know, he was, you know, coach at Vanderbilt, you know, forever and then became one of the first guys to jump from that to a coordinator position with the Cubs, then the big league coach of the Brewers and now with the Reds. And now he jokes. He's like, I'm so far on the old school side. It's, it's funny. (laughs) He's like, uh, he's like, that's how fast it changes. Uh, But it was important to me that, like, you know, if I'm developing and helping develop big league assets, that they're going up and we have a similar connection, you know, and then, and Derek and I have been, you know, we've known each other a long time. So that, that was definitely a big part. You've been an advisor for multiple teams in the past, right? So, so what would make you decide to take that next step and become an employee of a major league franchise? You know, I, I just, the teams were starting to make changes, wide scale changes. Uh-huh. And Eric and I talked about this a lot, you know, whether it was with, uh, you know, with the Braves, you know, I knew a lot of people still know a lot of people in that organization and Eric and you can say, you know, how much has changed, almost mm-hmm. overnight in that organization, yep. you know, Trust. it really has. Um, no, no doubt. Right. And, and in a great way. And so it is just like, man, if, if organizations are changing, you know, and it's not just the quote unquote progressive or new organizations and it really is changing across baseball. Yeah. Now might be the time to strike while the iron's hot. And so I went into it thinking it's not going to happen, you know, but I, I'm, I'm going to kick myself if I don't at least look into it mm-hmm. and the out the, you know, the, the pouring, the outpouring of, of interest was a little, uh, was a lot more than I thought it was going to be. And so the Reds were probably like the last team I thought I'd be joining, but when they, uh, when they made their pitch, it was, it was, it was important to me a lot of teams were doing exactly what Eric was saying and, and scared of, you know, come on in, you're going to replace everyone. You're going to be the man. And I'm like, I, I don't, you got this yeah. wrong, man. That's not, that's not what I'm trying yeah. to do. Not yeah. A, that doesn't work. A, yeah. that doesn't work. And B, if you get what you ask for, it's even worse. Honestly, you yeah. know, it's like, that's not, that's not it. That's not what I mean to, you know, man, you got me read wrong, you know? And if you spend one day with me, as Eric can tell you, you'll find out what I'm, what I'm about. Yeah, he's you know Kyle. It's it's incredible that I, I think early on you kind of you ruffled a lot of feathers. Um, 
and and I know you were you were a little more vocal on online and that stuff. And and I realize I think you've realized you're like I want to get into pro ball. Maybe I'll tone some of this down. But some of that, you know, I've had a few people ask me. They're like, what's what's Kyle like? Is he a good dude? Is he all right? I'm like, man, he's great. You'd love him. But you got to interact with people, you know, face to face and and in person to to really get a feel for it. But that you know, like I said earlier, the, the respect that you had for the big league level, you know, I figured as long as you maintain that, everybody in in baseball was going to be real accepting and like you. But I'm glad to hear that you know it's it's all going well so far, and you, and you picked the right spot. Yeah, a, bi- a big part of it is Joey Votto, honestly, and the players up there because they wow. saw players like TJ Antone and some pitchers make some pretty big jumps mm-hmm. in the spring that I had worked with in the past, and yeah. so and then Votto came in and you know signed me up for the raising. So, you know, I had to get up there and, and, you know, talk, either sing a song or, so I taught all the guys, you know, they were going to Vegas for an exhibition game and I'm like, look, man, I can't sing, I can't dance, but what I can do is teach you guys how to count, teach you guys how to count cards and blackjack. That's the best thing you could possibly do. Dude. Yeah. You had Amir Garrett, right? A Vegas boy. You had all these dudes all over. Like I I brought, I wheeled in a 20 foot whiteboard into the clubhouse and I'm teaching them how to count cards for like six minutes. You got the, you got the president, the GM, all these guys, you know, down to the janitors are all like crowded around and Votto, you know, pulled up some image, uh, some video of me throwing batting practice. He's like, Oh, look, he's a pitcher. Let's break down his mechanics. It was just tremendous. Like, so what does that mean for a guy like Votto to do that? You know, he's me a little bit. Oh yeah, hundred percent. And then at the end, you know, you know, he makes fun of me. I give my speech, and then he's like, "Look, man, like you're you're always welcome," you know, because it's a give and take. And so, and that that was huge. So I want to make sure that I shouted him out because it was it was really yeah. inclusive. Yeah, he's he's not a guy you'd expect to have. A, I mean, he seems like an open mind. I mean, yeah. he's a different cat, but he seems he's like conventional dude. Yeah, yeah, very. But yeah, I'd expect yeah, him to to accept any information he could get. It should be noted, MLB teams have come a long way in not just accepting what you're teaching, but in the past decade, but really embracing it and seeking you out. You've had at least a dozen former driveline coaches are now in player development positions with big league teams, right? Yeah, 25 now. Oh, my Jesus. God. Who doesn't? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's about you, 30 total employees, yeah. So, so you just got to cycle through new ones every year out at driveline, huh? Well, we got to switch it up, hiring. you know? It's yeah. like – yeah, so we, we basically started up a, a much more robust internship program, you know, where we paid pretty good and then, you know, spent thousands of dollars on these guys. And you know, at, at the beginning, you know, I get pissed off. It's like, oh, man, these guys are just taking my employees. This sucks. Uh-huh. And then, you know, real, you realize over time that it's like, man, that's like the impact, you know, that you're going to have. And so you can either fight it and get pissed off or you can embrace it and realize that that's, you know, that's part of the game. And so, you know, it goes from what Eric is saying is like being vocal and the, and the president of the Reds, you know, put it really well when he sat down with me, he's like, look, you know, your, your, your online persona, what you were in the past, doesn't scare me. He's like the first guy through the wall is always gets bloody, you know, he's yeah. like, so I understand you're going to have your combative, but now that it's accepted, can you it's make chill. the shift? <laughs> yeah. Right. He's like, he's like, now's, now's the time. He's like, you got to start making a little shift. And I, he's like, I noticed you have, has that been a conscious effort? I'm like, it really has. It's been, it's not been hard for me, but you know, day one, when I brought in my partner, Mike, he was like, you know, the day is going to come where you're not going to train athletes. And he's like, I'm scared that yeah. you're going to have a hard time giving it up. And I'm yeah. like, and you're just wrong. Like I'm always going to train athletes. I'm like, I'm like, I, I'm not even going to entertain if that's going to be easy or not. And then within four years, I wasn't training athletes mm. because he was right. I had to train. I had to coach the coaches. I had to build the business. So that type of mindset shift, fortunately, um, I was able to make and had some really good guidance. So yeah, you know, it definitely has been a conscious thing. So 
you can help Trevor Bauer when he needs to make that shift, huh? <laughs> I don't think he's making it. Dude, he's been, yeah, I've been hammering him, and his agent's been good about it, but I've been hammering him about it for years. You know, oh, he and I are like yin and yang. Uh, but, like, you know, Trevor and Eric know each other pretty well now. And you could, you know, Trevor, and I, Eric could probably back me up on this. He's just like a pretty normal dude, loves to shoot the shit, has, you know, stupid humor, yeah. all that other stuff, you know, and it's just, it, it, some of the stuff, you know, doesn't come out the right, not right. the right way, but a lot of it you can't tell, no matter even if he was backed off online, you got to get a guy in a room, and I think Sonny Gray said it best, uh, it's just like, look, I'm just not going to judge someone until yeah. like we can get in a room and talk about normal stuff. And then that's yeah. how you can get a feel for a guy. Luke yeah, Jackson told me this. I didn't think I was gonna like time. Trevor. <laughs> yeah. I didn't think I was gonna like him initially. And you know, the more I interacted with him, I, the guy's harmless. You know, he's he said a few things that rub people the wrong way, but you see his passion for baseball and, and what he's doing. And and I, the one thing I really liked was how much he would go out of his way to help, you know, a guy that might not even get his foot in the door in Pro Bowl. And you'd see Trevor sitting down talking to him just like any other teammate, you know. I'd see that, observe that stuff at driveline. So I, I grew to appreciate his brutal honesty and, and his approach to life. And, you know, I, he doesn't bother me one bit. I like him. Yeah, and his core, and his core is very old school, right? We talked yeah. about yeah. this, I think, I together. Like he's like, him. look, he's like, I want to play for Team USA. He's like wearing the colors. Mm-hmm. He's like, if you put the colors on, you should be willing to pitch. You should throw 250 pitches. Like, leave mm-hmm. it out there. Like, yeah. if you're going to put the flag on. Yeah. Like, he's like, I want to play for Leland. He's like, I want to play for him. And he's like, that's what it's about. He's like, that's what baseball is about. It's like leaving it all out there because you're playing for your country. And that you know, kind of stuff you like, just you gotta so, respect that. Yeah. And he shredded yeah, yeah. Che- cheaters. He can't stand cheaters, and he doesn't mind saying it. Yeah, well, it's you know a lot of it is, and he like he led the league in hit by pitches last year at the break. You know, so it's <laughs> yeah. like, look, he's got his guys back, and you know, at the end of the day, it's he's a different cat, no doubt. And I'm not trying yeah. to say he's not, you know, but it's he's an old, like at the at his heart, he's an old school guy, which is really funny. Luke yeah. Jackson he was telling, uh, he, out in Arizona and said he really oh, he liked did? him. Yeah. Yeah. They, so he said, yeah, like Trevor was telling us about like, uh, you know, he's like, look, you know, he's telling me, he's like, oh, you know, I've been talking, you know, we got to have some rules in the clubhouse and here's what I'm trying to do would be a leader. And I just laughed at him. I'm like, look at this guy. He's yeah. talking about, he's talking about trying to set down some unwritten rules. Yeah, look how yeah, far yeah. you come. And he's like, <laughs> I know, I know. Fucking, you know, yeah. just like, it was so funny. I think they were on different teams, but they that shared a, the ballpark was close or something, and they they had a place together. But anyway, and he knew him from driveline, so but he really liked yeah, him. Luke's yeah, Luke was awesome, man. He's a, he's also a different cat. He's but funny, I like that guy a lot. Yeah, we've had yeah, him on the show. He's he's, he's a out good there. Dude. Yeah, he's a good dude. <laughs> funny dude. He's been on that uh, gaming thing all week. He was built, kicking ass on the gaming thing, the MLB gaming thing last week. He's a big nerd. Yeah, on that he's stuff. a big streamer, man. Yeah. <laughs> He, he was that before that. He's a general manager of a team. He pays, it, it funds a team, recruits players. Oh, that's right. Yeah, he yeah. actually, yeah, yeah, I forgot I forgot about that. Yeah. The Black Tux believes every groom deserves a better experience when it comes to finding formal wear, a suit or a tuxedo for their big day. Did you know the Black Tux was actually started by two guys who had one of the worst tuxedo fittings you could imagine? It turns out they aren't alone in this frustration. Just listen to these one-star reviews from competitor tuck shops that shall not be named. I had a terrible experience. Who would have thought a quick trip for a tux fitting the day after the 4th of July would be such a struggle? What should have been a 15-minute max meeting turned into an hour ordeal with a good half-hour wait time just to get paperwork started. Why am I doing paperwork at a tuck shop? Clearly, this place was under understaffed for a study afternoon, uh, for a Saturday afternoon. Holiday weekend or not, I'm pissed off and I'm not coming back. Ah, uh, 
Uh, yeah, he's not coming back. And yeah, you don't have that problem at the Black Tux. What I love about the Black Tux is that they have an easy online ordering process that brings your suit or tuxedo straight to you. Just pick a style at theblacktux.com and request a free home try-on so you can feel the fit and quality before you commit. And if online isn't your style, the Black Tux has showrooms all over the country where you can find your fit and plan your look. From there, they'll ship your order two weeks before your wedding so you can check in one last time. Talk about commitment. Whether you're buying your outfit or looking to rent, you won't find a formal wear experience or designs like the ones you'll find at the Black Tux. If you want your wedding to be remembered for the right reasons, order your suit or tuxedo at theblacktux.com and enjoy 10% off your with the code BRAVES. That's theblacktux.com, code BRAVES for 10% off your purchase. The Black Tux, formal wear for the moment. So anyway, the use of analytics, obviously, is an understatement to say it's exploded in recent years. And most teams now have a large research and development group. I know the Braves do. They were already going in that direction a little bit with copy. But when Alex came in, they just they took it to a whole nother level, you know, and he hired a guy, a couple of guys away from the Marlins and from the Blue Jays and, you know, and Tammon from the Dodgers. And, you know, so they're they're really big into that. And so I would imagine they would have had interest in you too at some point, like you were talking about. But yeah, um, yeah. The director of R and D, we worked together in Houston, and I've known him yeah. since before Pro Ball. Yeah, yep. or not? He's a special assistant. Yeah, Mike right. Fast, right? Fast. And, yeah, uh, yeah. A bunch of those guys in there too. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's definitely an organization that's it's been growing for years. You know, I think people really don't realize it, but it has been for years. Yeah. If you could point to one development that kind of accelerated that acceptance of analytics in baseball, would it be, or, or is it one of them that the Astros had so much success and people kind of, when they finally broke through, you know, and won a World Series and and people are looking at what they did and Justin Verlander goes over there and makes it, you know, just transforms his career at such a late point. Um, do you think that's when people started paying really more attention to what analytics were doing for those guys? Yeah, it definitely. It was that and the Garrett Cole going over there too. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like sinker baller with Pittsburgh. Um, turns out being a four seam slider guy starts punching out the world, you know, and, and everyone could see it. Every fan could see it. You watch Garrett pitch. Uh, you know, Verlander is an all time great Hall of Fame lock right. before he went over there, right. you know. So let's, and I'm not saying not taking anything away from him. He deserves right. all the credit, you know, but a Garrett, you watch a Cole pitch and you're like, that's not right. You know, he's yeah. got a four ERA yeah. and this stuff's nasty. Oh man. You know, and then he goes over there and maximizes his talents and it's like, oh well, you know, and so that's why the cheating stuff is a bummer in a lot of ways. Yeah. It's like, yeah. look, yeah, they did absolutely they deserve the, the punishment and, and not just the punishment, but you know, the whatever people think about him. Uh, but additionally it's like, man, you can't throwing out everything together is, is kind yeah. of a bummer. So that's what Gaddis said. That's what Gaddis said. Yeah. Unfortunately, there's a lot of other people that that did great work in player in research and player development and uh, analytics, and all those people are being painted with the same brush. And he said it's just unfortunate. Yeah, but you can't you can't say they didn't deserve it either. Nope. On the other hand, nope. right? So it's yeah. like it's a little <laughs> bit of both. Yeah, right. Hey, that um, that's crazy though. When you think about it, you know that there could be a guy with Garrett Cole's talent that's just getting by in the big leagues. You know, um, I, I always think about that. You know, how many guys are there? Yeah, even even guys I came up with that couldn't crack the big leagues. That if they had the information now to make themselves better, uh, they could have had you know five, ten major, ten year major league careers and things like that. And then you look at guys around the game. Um, I mean, ha- are there any guys that you see in the Reds organization where you're like, man, I might be able to transform this guy, or is it just case by case? 
Yeah, no, TJ Anton was a big one coming up with uh, the Reds, you know, and then, you know, we, we also waiver claimed uh, Jose De Leon, right? You know, one of the best changeups in baseball. Uh, and then, you know, he's transformed. You know, he had Tommy John, and you know how it is, right? They say it's 12, 14 months, but five years. <laughs> you're right. Sure. No. And the GDL had TJ a couple years ago, right? And he was back, and he was, you know, he's getting outs in the FSL on his rehab, you know, throwing 84. And getting out because he can pitch, right? But yeah. it's like, man, you know, the velocity it takes time. No, he's not right. And, and so then when it, it did, he was up to 94, 95, I think, with us. So, and it's still got the command, it's still got, you know, 80 grade changeup. So it's like, man, that could be a huge one for us. But TJ was a guy that was sinker baller guy. You know, he had TJ a couple, uh, he had Tommy John a couple years ago too. Um, and so his velocity started coming back. He started training with us, you know, and then he started just taking it seriously. Um, you know, and started doing something different. And he was a big sinker ball guy, made the mindset switch to be a fastball slider guy. And then, you know, he punched out a bunch of guys throwing 98 in spring training. And he comes in and he's like, that's it, dude. The sinker is done. I'm like, it's done, huh? So yeah, you, for you go all the way from pitching in junior college to getting into getting to big league camp. You're throwing sinkers the whole way. You get into AAA, you're pretty good. And then it's done. Oh, okay, that makes sense. And I'm like, you know, so a lot of it is that, and that's where analytics can go too far. And that's where people are like, oh, that's too much. I'm like, look, man, you, you made your name as a sinker slider guy for years, getting to AAA and becoming one of the better pitchers in our organization. All of a sudden now you throw harder, you throw an elevated four seam. How about both? You know, the sinker is still good for some hitters, right? It's, it's still a weapon, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so then that's, that can be the frustrating thing is some people get too in love with mm-hmm. a new approach. Um, and there's also no guarantee that, that, that the current four-seam curveball thing is going to last for more than a couple of years. You know, hitters – and that's the thing that I want mm-hmm. people to realize is, is, you know, hitters are so good today. You know, yeah, we had a, right. a big leaguer who called me and he was like, hey, I'm retiring. I'm hanging him up. He was battling injuries, you know, and he's just like, oh, my heart's not in it. And I said, uh, hey, you know, it's a good career and so forth. And I said, uh, you know, what, you know, what was the big mindset shift? If you could tell me, like, what was the trigger? Because we were talking about coming back in the next year. And he's like, you know, I just, I just see these 20-year-old kids hitting so dingers good. off 100-mile-an-hour fastballs. I think he was referring primarily <laughs> to, like, Albies and Acuna. Uh-huh. Yeah. And he's like, these guys are hitting elevated fastballs. It's not even a strike. It's ball. You know, yeah. and they're hitting bombs, and, and I, I, that's it. He's, I'm done. <laughs> he's like, he's like I, I don't want to deal with that. And I said, I, so that's what I think people are not, not necessarily respecting, but they, they maybe don't understand how good the young group of hitters right. are these days. It's crazy. Well, it's just everything they have at their disposal, too. You know, I mean, when I was – my first couple of years in the big leagues, if you threw 95 left-handed, everybody's on the top step. And now you got guys throwing 102 in JUCO. Some lefty I saw yesterday throwing 102 miles an hour. Can't even get into D1, you know. Right. Um, and obviously, you know, velocity is not everything to pitching, but it makes it a hell of a lot easier, and it matters. Um, but just the change in the game the last probably five, ten years with guys learning how to take care of themselves, how to train to, to be more athletic. Because for a long time in baseball, nobody trained to really do anything but not get hurt. And now people are fi- making these huge jumps physically and throwing, you know, 97, 98 miles an hour. The hitters are stronger and more athletic. I mean, the athleticism on a baseball field has just completely changed in the last five, 10 years. And, it, you know, it's the same thing for me looking back. I'm like, you know, I can go to spray training with someone throwing 89, 90, and, and maybe I can get some outs. But the battle I'm facing to, to keep staying in this game and keep playing versus, you know, some young promising kid they want to give a shot to. It's like, you know, it's just such an uphill battle. That so that's, and that's one major difference, that, and I respected you 
obviously from the get-go what you did in the game but when you said that it was like man like that's the difference between a real pro a veteran who gets it mm-hmm. and so and a kid that maybe doesn't or someone that's you know bitter you know you're like hey you know i could go i can go anywhere my agent could get me an invite somewhere but i'm going prepared i'm going to be 93 plus this is going to be dialed this 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 and i'm like that's that's a pro, there's no right? point understands what, <laughs> well yeah well yeah but you understand your opportunity you understand what what matters and it's like man but that's applicable to someone who's 14 and someone who's 40 you know trying to pitch again you know it's like well you know where's the opportunity coming from and so that was a message i still tell that story to this day to the reds kids to driveline guys to everyone it's like you know what, what you said to me that day i'm like that's that's someone who understands you know where they got to be yeah, and you know, it's not a bitter thing. I was actually, I was talking to um, Brian McCann a couple nights ago, and we were just talking about, as a whole, how much tougher baseball has gotten and how how hard the league is. And I think a lot of former players have a hard time admitting that maybe the game's tougher now than when they broke in. And, you know, it's not like I don't give myself credit that, that I would have found a way to adjust or adapt, or if maybe I had these training programs when I was 18, I would have been throwing 96. So you can't really compare the game in that sense and say, you know, it's not like your era wasn't good enough. You know, the game's just, it's always advancing. It's always getting better and harder. But we were talking about that. I was like, man, I got no problem admitting the game's tougher now and the, and the game's changing. And, and I don't know what I would do. I feel like the competitor in me would find a way to get to the big leagues and be successful either way. But it'd definitely be a harder battle for me now, you know, with every lefty throwing 94, 95 versus just like two or three in an organization when I was coming up. Sure. Yeah, but you rise to the challenge, right? The pressure is what creates it. How many guys did you play with that had better tools that never got out of double A? Right. Yeah. If you get if you have enough explosive stuff, you're going to get to double A, right? Because they're going to find out if you can if you can hack it because that's the level where it's like, okay, all right, these guys, there's some pretty real dudes here, you know? And it's like, it's, it has a lot less to do with the physical stuff and a lot more to do with the mental. And can you push it every day? Can you, can you pitch at your best? When you're at 80 percent can you give your best effort you know and so that and that's just not a lot of people it really isn't no and that's that's a hard thing to kind of convey you know that the mental side of the game is so important and and you know as a reliever or even a pitcher in general just being able to keep your cool and slow the game down out there is the skill that you know if you don't have that if you can't think your way through an inning and, and remain calm which i think that's probably the only downside of so many kids investing so much in velocity is they think that that's the key um, it's more just a key to an opportunity. And then you've got to learn how to mentally work your way through, uh, you know, tough situations and, and how to, you know, manage your emotions when things start getting out of control and, and keep those big innings from happening. Um, but yeah, that's, that's more, I think that once you get to double a, you start seeing the guys that can't control their mind on the mound. They just start fizzing out. Yep. What's the, uh, speaking of hard throwing lefties, you could, you made me think, uh, Tucker Davidson, he's really impressed out there in driveline in the last couple of years right i mean that guy's uh he can yeah, get it up dude, there you know he can get and it up he's there. yeah he throws throws 100 and all that now and that's 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 fine you know yeah. him and muller and those guys push <laughs> yeah, each other and no, it's, beast, it's not, i'm not trying to like be flipping and i and eric knows i'm where i'm going with this right but it's not like yeah tucker throws 100 and that's awesome you know but he was he's the guy that came you know not a prospect mm-hmm. you know battling his ass off coming up to the beginning and years ago in, in fairness four or five years ago uh, a buddy of mine who pitched uh, with the Rangers, Indians, a bunch of teams, Clayton Cook, who knew him really well. Clayton you know, pitched to AAA, and he was telling me, he's like, yo, this guy is all in. The way that he goes about his business, you're going to hear about him. You're going to hear about him. And then finally, Tucker came up. I got to know him. Came up the next year with Muller and those guys. It's funny because you have like, here's Tucker Davidson. 
And then you got Kyle Muller and Nate Pearson, Forrest Whitley, whatever, all these other guys that are coming up. And then, you know, and then T- Tucker is all of a sudden what everyone wants to talk about. It's funny. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. but that's the value of, of being a guy that no one knows, right? Your head's down and Eric and I have talked about this a million times, you know, instead of being on the cover of Baseball America or this, that, the other, yeah. you can actually just go about your business and no one bothers you. Yeah. You know? And so, so that's, nice. and that's, that's, and that's what, yeah. And that's what Tucker's earned that opportunity to be on the 40 man because he really just worked in, in, you know, in this area where no one, no one cares. Ah, mm-hmm. it's another, just a, another lefty for us. He's whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden it's like, hey, now we want to pay attention to him. And it's like, He's well, throwing a hundred in his underpants. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, but it's like, look at the, at the end of the day, that's, and that's what, that's why it's frustrating. Some people are like, oh, the Reds, they don't have you know, pitching prospects or aren't you excited to work with Lodolo and Hunter Green? It's like, yeah, sh- sure. But it's like, dude, like, the, the, the basket of pitchers that succeed in the big leagues is all over the place. It's the yeah. first overall pick. It's the Dominican kid that got a million dollars. It's the, it's the Dominican kid that got a thousand dollars, right? Yeah, it's the 40th of, lander. Gum. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's all over the place. So yeah. Uh, am I excited to work with one, one of the best command guys in the minor leagues in Lodolo? Yeah, of course. I'll take a lefty that can hit a dime, you know, at, at 8 a.m. in a bullpen hundred percent. Right. But like also like the value is in all these other guys, you know, all the ex- all the expectations are heaped on some people. Yes. You know, but these quote unquote org players or whatever, you know, that's that's what makes up a huge amount of big leaguers. You know, it's it's a whole mix. And so that's what's that's the exciting part. When you first started driveline, did you do so primarily to help pitchers throw harder in a game that you kind of saw was headed in that direction? Was that the first purpose of it? And it expanded from there or what, what was the goal? Uh, yeah, yeah, it was a little bit, you know, just everyone was like, you know, we're running faster. The mile time is down. We're lifting more weights just all across athletics, right? Mm -hmm. The football combine scores are going down and then all of a sudden, you know, but then 12 years ago, it's like, I either got it or you don't with fastball velocity. Why does that make sense? Why does it, but, and it's, it's so long ago or it's not even that long ago, but people are like, you know, people believe that it's like, yeah. Of course they did. They either and you can ask Eric. You know what? Either you had it or you didn't. You didn't. You know. And cool. it just for me, it was like that doesn't make sense. There's got to be a way to you know develop velocity. And so then my first pro client is a Braves pitcher, ex Braves pitcher, uh, in Ryan Buckter. And so Ryan is now you know with the Angels on the forty man, uh, but he's still he's still pitching. And so you know it started attracting guys like Ryan who were like you know, on the last legs of their career, they're like, Hey, I need to try something different. And that was years and years and years yeah. ago. And Ryan, you know, was the first guy to give me a shot. So I always think about I that. And then that. that's been, I've, and I've never forgotten that. Right. Like those are the people, because those are the people that actually treasure the opportunity, right? Mm-hmm. Nothing against, you know, your first overall pick or these prospects, you know, but at the end of the day, it's Tyler like, glass now coming by. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Glass now rolling by and, and blowing out all the velocity records and getting on his private plane and leaving. No, yeah. Right. Right. Man, you, uh, yeah. You can go. Uh, Tyler's on. Yeah. Hey, glass now's. He's I got awesome. nothing for he's you. Another, right. He's a different. Yeah. That's, and a lot of it was told glad and he's a really coachable kid, you know, and, and that's where, you know, that's another conversation, but that's where a lot of kids get in trouble. And I told glass now, I said, just do what you're doing. You know, throw the ball. Yeah. If you throw your stuff in a hula hoop, it's over. <laughs> Just like, like once you can do that, we could talk about the other stuff, I guess. You know, but like, you know. Um, so, Dave, so, they yeah, got, that, um, Dave, they got this, uh, they have, you know, they, they do a lot of different balls they throw and, and they kind of keep track of the velo on all these balls, right? Yeah. Um, you know, like a yellow ball, blue ball, they all weigh different weights and everything. Right. And, and you, you kind of come and you get your baseline testing done and, you know, everyone's aware of the records. 
uh, a glass snow flies in and just he's throwing like five miles an hour harder than everybody on every ball. <laughs> you know, it's like he just destroys everything the first day. And it's just kind of like, all right, man, well, you're I think he could probably be an Olympic, you know, high jumper or something like that. The guy's just such a ridiculous athlete. You know, the game's full of guys like that, that you kind of just I don't know. I, I don't know if you felt like that, Kyle, but I would have just said, yeah, I'm going to leave you alone. You can go home. Yeah, a lot of it is just, you know, hey, these things are good, you know, because so much of the of the impetus in coaching is like, I want to have an impact. I want yeah. I want to say something, right. yep. you know, and that we all feel that way. And so for anyone who thinks like, oh, they they bunt too much or whatever, it's like go coach little league. You know, because when you when you have runners on first and second and you're there and you're like, I could just bunt, like it it happens. Like it just becomes yeah. this thing <laughs> you don't understand until you've actually stood there and coached at any level, like what, how much of these things are basic impulses that are hard to shut down. Right, right. <laughs> and so then that's the thing. You have a pitcher, like, I got to say something. I got to, I got to, I got to talk to him. It's like, or maybe he's a young pitcher in the big leagues who's got explosive stuff who just needs to work it out on his own, you know? Yeah. Like, well, I think the best coaches, the, I think the best coaches are the guys that see something and they either wait for you to struggle or they wait for you to come to them, you know, but a lot of times, you know, a coach will see something you're doing wrong and you kind of just skate by two or three outings and nothing happens. And a lot of times you'll figure it out yourself or turn it around without having to have that, you know, conversation and, and having another thing to be conscious of that you're doing mechanically or tempo wise on the mound. And then a lot of other times, you know, you keep struggling, keep struggling. And then you go to that coach and he's like, yeah, I already got you locked in. Here's what we got to do. You do it the next day and you're back and you're, you're back. But I think that tendency to overcoach is that that's one of the most the hardest things for coaches to kind of just back off and leave guys alone and let them figure stuff out themselves so i'm glad you got that figured out already well i'm trying to (laughs) but managing the managing the emotions is a big one you you talked about this and like to get your take on it because sometimes the best time to be critical is when the guy's skating by he's got five six times clean innings or you know one base runner no run no runs in six outings right there it's been two three weeks Mm -hmm. he's he's dealing and sometimes you got to call them in the office and be like, "Yo, that ain't it." You, you know, know you because, suck right like, now, they, right? <laughs> right? Or they don't, or they don't get, or they get too high. It's like you're at the wrong level. You know, we got you at high A, and you're doing every, you're doing a ton of stuff wrong, and it ain't gonna fly. You know, but you don't have to denigrate them that way. But you can bring them down to the median level, and they're getting shelled. You watch the tape; they're making their pitches, and the hitters are just good. It happens, and you got to yeah. pump them up a little bit. So, you know, for me, a lot of the coaching is keep not only the right time to tell them what mechanically or pitch selection or whatever is best, but it's also emotional, right? Make sure you keep them on a, on a C plus emotion level. They're slightly happy, <laughs> yep. but not too happy and not too bummed. So, you know, as a reliever, I think it's pretty valuable. I don't know. What, what do you think about oh, that God. as far as like trying to keep it's, a guy dialed in? It's the whole game, you know, it's, and you obviously you don't want to get too high or too low, but you know, I mean, that's, those are the guys that, that really do well are guys that can go out there. I remember I, I pitched a game against the Mets uh, in 2009. It was like Beltron, uh, Carlos Delgado, and maybe Ryan Church or somebody. And I I just got three pop-ups on shitty pitches, terrible pitches. And I, I didn't fool anybody. I got through this outing, and the next inning I went back out, and it was the same thing. And I'm getting on my high fives after the game. Everybody's like, hey, man, way to go today. That was huge because they were important outs. But for me to recognize, you know, that was one thing that I I felt like was one of my strengths, you know, versus just being able to just dominate, but being able to recognize like 
Ooh, I got lucky today. If if I if I throw that crap out there one more time, I'm gonna give up a five spot or a six spot. You know, managing managing that and kind of seeing it ahead of time is a big deal. And then just keeping guys even keel. Me and David talked about this a ton, but it, it's kind of what you were saying with you know Bobby Cox would do that all the time where you'd have a rough outing and he'd know you sucked, you'd know you sucked, and he'd just scream at the umpire for you or something. And and just just deflect and then tell you you're awesome and go get them and then the next day he'd pat you on the ass and tell you, you know your stuff he watched tape and your stuff looked really good last night he's putting you back out there and you I mean you almost like you knew it was kind of he was pushing you was stretching the truth a little bit and and you weren't really that good but just just that mentality knowing he had your back and he was keeping you level and and not letting you get down or or you know ride that roller coaster that's the thing we always talk about is just don't ride the roller coaster. Um, I think that's a huge part of coaching. Did you know that 75% of us are walking around everyday life chronically dehydrated? We're suffering needlessly from frequent headaches, energy slumps, and poor focus. It doesn't have to be this way. Hydrant creates flavored electrolyte packets you mix directly into your water to make hydrating your body easy and delicious. Each rapid hydration mix has the four essential electrolytes your body needs. Sodium, potassium, magnesium, and zinc help you hydrate quickly and stay hydrated all day. And Hydrant is backed by research. The formula was developed by Oxford scientists to provide perfectly balanced, efficient hydration. There's no synthetic colors or artificial sweeteners. The formula is vegan, and you can choose between the three different flavors or a variety pack. Hydrant starts at just a buck a packet for a 30-day supply. You can save even more with a monthly subscription. And for 25% off your first order, go to drinkhydrant.com and enter promo code 755 at checkout. That's drinkhydrant.com and enter promo code 755 for 25% off your first order. Hey, let's uh let's go back real quick here because I, I said I, I alluded to at the start that you have a very interesting past, and I don't think people uh most people have no idea where you came from or anything. So if we can I'd like to do that. There's a documentary I watched, uh, a short documentary, like 18, 19 minutes on YouTube about you called Outside the Diamond, the unlikely story of Kyle Body and uh, Kyle Bodie and driveline baseball. Um, I would recommend to anybody that has even a mild interest in player development, but uh, are just people in general and how. It's a must watch. <laughs> it, it is. It's really interesting. And it's not long. And, and, and you guys, you'll be wrapped up in it once you start seeing it. Um, because, and I think most people will be able to relate because you're such a, a normal kind of childhood that, you know, you had your problems, you weren't, you know, you weren't a super stud athlete or anything. Um, so I just wanted to, to give some people the background. You grew up middle-class suburban Cleveland, right? Good, good, real good student, little leaguer, kind of a independent thinker, according to your parents and your friends. Yeah. 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 It depends on if you ask my teacher is not the best student, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> otherwise pretty, pretty accurate. Yeah. Well, they said one of your friends said you were always out there and said you weren't afraid of anything. And your uh, and the teacher on there said that you were really when you were focused, you were really into something and passionate. But if you weren't, you kind of drifted and you weren't you had to apply yourself. So, yeah, he's yeah, he's the best teacher, Mr. Jekyll, I've ever had, you know, because he kept me in line, you know, and he he's the one that I, I credit him with a lot of my coaching, how I go about coaching things because I would blow dudes out of the water like whatever in academic decathlon or these you know nerd uh-huh. events and i would uh-huh. just like crush people and he's like you got you he's like you're nothing he's like you're you're a dude from a <laughs> suburb in cleveland no one's ever heard of and he's like you're you're happy that you're the smartest dude in ohio he's like are you kidding 
<laughs> he's like, he's like, what does that even mean? And we would go to national competitions. I would get destroyed, you know, by people that would actually try. Yeah. Right. You right. Know? And he's just like, that's not it. And then, you know, he's, he's really in a blue collar way. He really kept me level. Uh, and, and he did it in a way that was not bullying. You know, it's pretty hard to do that. And he, especially working with a 16 year old that was being pretty big dick to him. So yeah. like, yeah. he's, yeah, I owe him a lot. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I think that's a prerequisite for a good high school teacher to be able to withstand people being dicks to them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know how, but he did it. <laughs> you, uh, you said you became agnostic in high school and that led you to start questioning a lot of things, not just accepting things or taking things for granted and becoming a scientific thinker. And that was a big turning point or transition for you. Yeah. A big part of growing up, uh, and just, I kind of alluded to it as I thought being smart, I, I really thought that being smart was important. Like it was valuable. Like I was uh -huh. better than people because I was smart. Uh, and my first boss in, in high school, I was making pizzas when I was 14. I had a job at a pizzeria shop and uh, she just blow me up about it. She's just like, it doesn't matter that you're smart, you know, and I would fight like fight her about it. And it took years to really understand like why my dad is a hero to me, right? Because he's worked, he's had three jobs his whole life. You know, he worked at NASA, he worked at British Petroleum, he got laid off there. Uh, and he's worked at the, at the Cleveland Plain Dealer uh, for decades, you know, and he's had, he's an electrician, he's a blue collar dude. Mm -hmm. And he just put his head down, worked and, you know, provided for his family. And that's, that's a grind. Like that's real work, mm. right? That's what, that's impressive. Someone who can punch the clock 45, 50 hours a week, do the same thing. It might not be their life's work. And, and get joy out of uh, providing and being a good dad and being around for their kids. Um, I, you know, it's something you don't appreciate when you're 16 or probably yeah. even 25, you know, but as I've gotten older, it's like, that's, so as I've gotten older, I've really started to internalize. And when I was in my early twenties, a girl I knew, a friend of mine, she was like, you know, I don't know if she meant this in a bad way, but I, it took me a while to understand that it was, she's like, you don't do anything that you're not good at. And I'm like, that's right. I'm the man. <laughs> and everything I do. And then I'm, and then I, it was like legit, like same. six months later, six months later, I was like sitting and I'm like, that's really embarrassing, yeah. you know, to like <laughs> only do things you're good at. You know, yeah. I, I, to this day, I don't know if she's like, she meant it as a jab. Uh, I don't know. It's kind of, I'd rather not know. It's kind of, it's kind of more fun to know that way. So, you know, I started doing things that I wasn't good at, right? I started playing baseball again, you know, I started and I was terrible. And then, you know, 10 years later, like I can rake, I can hit pretty good, you know? And so it's like all these things uh, branching out is, is important. And so then I became much more understanding and which just my worldview is like, you know, intelligence is fine and all. It gives you a leg up. Sure. You know, but it's the blue collar. It's the work ethic. You're going to get outpaced. There's tons of people smarter than me in baseball. There's tons of people who have more information than me and, and played in the big leagues and so forth. But you know, put two of us together and we got someone's coming out. Like I'm going to work, I'm going to outwork the guy. And if I, if I lose, that's fine, but I'm going to put as much effort into it as possible. And that's, and that's what I think people respect about me as they get to know me. Yep. You went, you went to college for a couple of years at Baldwin Wallace dropped out. You said your dad, your dad said it didn't stimulate you. You said in the video <laughs> that you were working while you were in college, that you didn't have much balance in your life. And that led to social anxiety and dealing with depression that you'd, really had since you were 12, but you'd never really gone and been checked out or been diagnosed with it. So you dropped out, moved back home, and we're trying to figure out what the hell you were going to do with the rest of your life, right? Living with your parents for a while. Yeah. Yeah. I was living in my parents' uh, basement and uh, just working as a server at the Olive Garden, trying to figure out what was next. <laughs> but that was, 
It was, yeah, I was working full time. You know, my parents' family don't have a lot. You know, we grew up middle class, lower middle uh-huh. class. You know, when I was younger, I was doing doing okay now. But um, you know, my mom stayed at home, worked as a waitress on the nights sometimes. My dad was working a blue collar job, you know, union job, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, it didn't leave a lot. So for me, you know, getting into work, my mom pushed me. Not not push me. I always wanted to work. You know, I always thought it was was important to earn my own money. I don't know where it came from. It just kind of it's always felt important to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, my parents helped me find a job. You know, I was fourteen, uh, working at the library, working at the pizza shop, doing a bunch of different odds. You know, jobs, and uh, it's always been a part of me. But I overdid it in college. You know, it's like I'm the man. I'm smart. I can take you know eighteen semester credits and I can work full time and have a social life. It's like. Uh-huh. Nah, man, you know, at some point you find out you reach the natural limits of your intelligence, right? And all of a sudden uh-huh. I'm taking classes like discrete mathematics and mm. all this other stuff. I'm like, damn, you know, I'm only, I'm only half Japanese, man. It only, only <laughs> come a little natural, you know? So like, it, I gotta, I gotta work 18 hours a week on this and work 45 hours a week. It's like, it, it was just too much and you push That's yourself, too much. But it, it's, but it's good. You know, it's like, it's better than I think about a lot of kids I went to school with who never pushed themselves. And, you know, they're, they're not achieving close to their potential, right? So a lot of it is how are you going to know your limits until you go over them? So a lot of it is, is I'm happy it happened. Just so people know, you, that was not a politically incorrect statement. He is half Japanese. <laughs> that's, that's true. That's people, true. People that might not know you are. <laughs> yeah, um, it, yeah. You had friends, former teachers all said that you were really smart but passionate, but that you had to be focused and interested in something. So you're at home trying to figure out what you want to do. And you see the movie Rounders. So tell us what, yeah. what what did that do? What did that lead you to? You you were you you long been interested in gambling, right? Yeah, well, I was a gamer growing up. You know, I played a lot of video games, played a lot of card games, and so when I saw Rounders, I was like, "What? Oh, this is like this is a thing." You know, you can act, this is a thing that could be done. Uh-huh. But living in Ohio, you know, gambling was illegal, uh, so it was hard to. It's it's legal now, you know, but it wasn't then. So. Mm-hmm. You know, when I turned 19, I was making regular trips up to Windsor, Canada, right, mm-hmm. right across Detroit and playing cards up there regularly with some buddies and taught myself the game. I'm like, this is a game that you can make a living on. Like, that's unbelievable. So that was also happening in college. I'm, I'm like, do I really want to be here? Uh-huh. Yeah. I could do this instead. Uh, and then, you know, I, I, one night I took a bunch of sleeping pills and which I was doing normally and uh, in, a, in a stupor. I applied for a job in Costa Rica. I woke up, no memory of it. And uh, three days later, I got the job. I got an offer. I got a job interview. No, I did. I got this job interview from Poker Stars. And I'm looking in my email box and I'm like, when the hell did I apply for this? Check my sent email. I'm like, oh my God, I must have sent a resume in when I was blacked out. And uh, that's when I dropped out of college, got the job there. And I moved to San Jose, Costa Rica for a little bit and then moved back to Cleveland to do it remotely. And then I'm um, like, you know, point, Cleveland was kind of at its low point in the early 2000s. So I moved out to Seattle, met a girl, you know, kind of fast forward there. But, um, and then that's kind of where I started gambling full time when I was working there and then gambling. Yeah. So you're working in Seattle and doing uh, online casino gambling, right? And making a ton of money, beating people, beating people on the internet, beating the internet. For yeah. Beating the internet of its money, yeah, legitimately. That's what was going on. What kind of money were you pulling? I mean, is there? Can you talk about it? What What would be like a good week or something like that? Doing that? Oh, you know, it's, it's you want to talk about roller coaster? We were just talking yeah. about not being on it, but in the gambling world, you, there is no choice. It's just you know, <laughs> you you might I might be making say fifty bucks an hour, right? That might be the average. 
that I was making. Um, and it was probably higher than that, but let's just call it that. Let's call it a hundred an hour. Right. It probably wasn't that high, but like, that's how much you're making. But any given day, you're up 15 grand or you're down 12 grand. Yeah. Right? So on, on net, right. You're, you're good. You're making money. But man, one day I was playing, I was playing online poker or online blackjack and just, you know, I had the best of it. I had an edge. Uh, I knew that. And I'm sitting in, in my office and playing. It's wordless. You know, four of us are sitting in the office. we got headphones on. Let's try some light elevator music playing in the background. And we're just getting our work in. It's 1230. Beautiful summer day in Seattle. Just like plan, plan, plan. And all of a sudden, I just get up, grab my backpack, just scream at the top of my lungs, throw it against the wall. All my, all, everyone at work is like, what the fuck are you doing, dude? What the hell? I'm like, sorry, man. I just lost Tough like 40 ass. grand. I just needed to throw. I just needed to like throw something. Oh and then got God. back to work. And then got back to work and then finished up like negative 20,000 that day. You know, but I. Jesus. And then I've done it in, in person too. You know, I used to be a blackjack card counter. Um, and so I lost, I've lost like 10,000 in a casino. I've won, you know, 12,000 at a casino that's smaller than driveline. You know, it's like, so it's like pretty scary when you win that much money. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no place. Yeah. You got to get, uh, get out with it. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, when you, you know, and so then, you know, for a long time, I lost, I was lucky enough. It's, 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 it's lucky when you lose a lot at, at one casino, you know, cause then they think you're an idiot. Right? Yeah. So for, I, I lost a ton of money at the Venetian. So I was, <laughs> I was, uh, I was mobbed up pretty good there for a while until they realized, Hey, this guy doesn't actually, uh, he doesn't actually spend any money on you. Yeah. <laughs> he just like, so yeah, I, I lost probably over, I would say probably, I'll probably over a hundred thousand at the Venetian like in, in my life. And then I've, I've won and then I won smaller amounts everywhere else. Right. So yeah. <laughs> you end up making more money. Um, yeah. So that's kind of, that's kind of how that all rolled out, which was fun. That had to take some years off your life going riding that roller coaster. Man, it does. <laughs> it's a, but it also is like, it's just life. You know, I look yeah. back and I, w- I was, uh, a lot of people who get into that understandably get into it because they're addicted to gambling. You right. Know? But for me, I never, I never felt that, you know, to this day, like I barely gamble. It's fun to do, but whatever. Yeah. I could take it or leave it. That's kind of where I'm at. Um, my, but I, and I'm like, how could you be addicted to gambling? This is just purely whatever. And I would roll with my buddies in Vegas and my buddies so just like, a job to you. you know, for me, it was, I mean, it was the best job, but you know, right. my buddy's thumbing flags in his hand. He's got 20 grand in flags, you know, $5,000 chips, $1,000 chips in his hand at the Bellagio. And I just watch him. We're walking to go to noodles. It's 2 a.m. We're trying to get some food to eat. And I just watch him peel off involuntarily to the high limit slot room. And I'm like, yo, 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 <laughs> no. no, we're going to get food. And I'm like, what are you doing? And he's like, oh, I can't control it, man. I didn't even realize it. It's just like, and it's like, wow. When I saw that, I'm like, that's what gambling it's like, oh, okay, I, I get it. And wow. uh, so you do see that in some people. It's tough. Man, I, I was on a plane flight one time, um, and I, these guys were playing. I don't, I don't even know if it's if I'm allowed to name the teams and whatever, but these guys were playing this game. Yeah, you can where, name teams. I just called. I just checked. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't want to throw it. This is kind of – the, no, no, the no, game no. They was, said it's cool. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> What's the game, Kyle, where you there's posts, right? You either hit the post or you don't. You're trying to get it in between two cards. It's, it's a gambling game. I think it's called yeah, like I know what you're talking Mississippi about. Sweat or oh, something like that. Oh, that like was that. the A's. That was the A's. Yeah, so I'm uh, – <laughs> <I'm, laughs> I didn't play these games, man. I never played – poker on the plane or whatnot but they yeah i was i had some drinks it's like let me get in on this we got our meal money and i'd won some cash at the casino you know a few trips back so i still had it in my bag so i bought in this game for five grand and within like 
five minutes, I was down 15 grand, <laughs> up 25, down yeah. six, up 18. And I just said, guys, I can't handle this. I don't I don't want to do you guys can have the 18 grand back. I don't care. Just let me out of here in one piece. I just I don't want to play this anymore. Uh and they they, they actually were pretty cool and said, "No, man, you want it fair and square. Get out of here." Just cuz I'd offered it back, they they felt like I wasn't cuz it's kind of a, you know, it's a bad move to come in and take some money and, and leave pretty quick. Uh it's bad etiquette, but man, that was I, I didn't sleep that night. I had so much adrenaline playing that game. That, and that's the thing, man, for like us, like, oh, you're a professional gambler. You must have done some wild stuff. It's like, dude, my biggest wins and losses are like 10 grand, you know, like, and I, they really stick out, right? But like, the guys, the pro, pro, pro athletes, they play some wild games, man. Yeah, like that. They, play, they play, they play guts. They play, and, and they like, even I'm telling my pro, I'm telling my, my gambler friends, they're worth millions and millions of dollars more than me, you know? My, my buddy's the, the single biggest winner in online poker ever. <laughs> right, like, and he, we're still boys to this day. We talk all the time. He's a huge Oakland A's fan. He's from Oakland, and we talk all the time. And I tell him about these games that pro athletes play. He's like, "Nah, man, I'm not. I'm not doing that." Like, are, you, are you kidding? You know. So, like, that's yeah. So I understand for sure. Yeah, we got off that flight, and guys, someone had to write another dude a sixty thousand dollar check to to pay yeah. for his his losses. I was like, man. You guys have some balls. I don't. I don't ever want to play this game with you guys again. And and anytime I saw him playing after that, I just stayed away. And and you know, I respected it though. I was like, I gotta respect you know being able to put yourself through that after already going through a major league game. But I want nothing to do with it. <laughs> and imagine today they'll just pull out their phone, open up Venmo, and sixty yeah. grand. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's crazy. crazy. Yeah, yeah. You hear some of the sums that are thrown around. You know, when Barkley and Jordan, and then Rodman goes to Vegas. Some of the sums that you hear. That were t- tossed around in those games, man. That is crazy shit. So you're 23. You got all this expendable income, and I guess you said, and the thing you said, you had stupid. You spent it. You everything you bought, you made basically you spent on stupid stuff that you have kind of nothing to show for now, except these stories that you're telling, which are worth more than anything. Which are worth a lot, no <laughs> doubt. Yeah, a lot of it is like, man, and that's what I tell kids in college now, you know, or they or high school, they email and they're like, oh, you know, what's advice? It's like, take risks now. Yeah. It's like, look, man, I, I bankrupted myself when I was 24 and 25, you know, not, I didn't declare bankruptcy, but lost it all. And, you know, I have and all I have are some stories, but man, those are some. I'll be able to tell those forever. Now yeah, you forever. can't now make that mistake when I'm 36 and I'm exactly. Kids. I'll be divorced, and like, yeah. that's not a good, you know, just a and a bad parent at the end of the day, right? But when you're 24 and you you know have a girlfriend and yeah, a small apartment, it doesn't really matter, you know. So a lot of it. it Hopefully it's not gambling, you know, don't do that, you know, but, uh, yeah. you know, go start a business, go, go take a chance, right. Uh, go bet on yourself, you know, go, why go work at Microsoft or why go work at a desk job? You know, if you're smart and you're motivated and you're willing to bust your ass, like, the job's going to be there, you know, later for you, you know, like it just is. So take a chance when you're young, you know, so yeah, there's so many people living in fear of that, you know, of, and, and they wind up getting some basic diploma or something like that, you know, a college degree that they can't use in the real world. It's it's cool to hear your story that, you know, you basically dropped out of college and did all this crazy stuff and you've built yourself up to where you are now just with pure work ethic. That whole well, and my I appreciate it, but a lot of you know, a lot of my feeling was the same I, I liken it exactly what you're saying about the area scott story, you know, with the Rockies. You know, oh, yeah. like, what are you going to be doing? <laughs> I'll probably be managing Home Depot or working construction or something like that. But that's what I thought. You know, when I moved to Seattle to be with this girl that I met on the internet, you know, and I met her, you know, six, seven times, they were dating long distance. You know, it's not like I was getting catfished, you know. So it's like, like well, what, you're going to leave Cleveland? What are you going to do? You're going to move out there and 
what happens if it doesn't work out? It's like, I can move back to Cleveland and an apartment costs $300 a month. Yeah. Like, I'll just yeah. go get my job at Olive Garden back. Like, like that takes a long, it takes a long time to internalize that. Cause like, yeah. you know, all my buddies, they're so risk averse. I grew up, you know, my dad, and you think about what the era our parents grew up in, right? My grandparents grew up yeah. in the depression. My, my Japanese grandparents were interned after world war two. Right. So they're both like, Hey, don't take risks. Don't do this, that, you know, and then they raise their kids. My parents, my dad is the oldest of 10 kids, right? Irish Catholic, massive family. Right. So he's like dealing with his brothers. He's been a dad twice, basically. Right. So he's like, dude, I've seen it all. You know, I have uncles that are, you know, 20 years younger than my dad. Right. So he's just like, yeah, imagine being 20 and then having a kid. Right. And then like, you know, I have a brother now, like eh, what that's like. Right. (laughs) So like, (laughs) Right. So it's like, he's like, you know, he's very rightly risk averse. Right. So when you break out, it's hard for people who grew up middle class to, to break out of that. I know you understand that. And a lot of people, you you become fearful, right. But it's about taking that chance, right. Knowing that at the end of the day, it's probably not going to work out. You know, what are the odds (laughs) that you're going to pitch in the big leagues? Pretty low. What are the odds that this driveline thing is ever going to be successful? Uh, Close to zero, but like, at least I can say I did it. I tried. Right. And I don't have a regret, you know, cause I can always go get a job, you know, doing whatever later. Go. I always preach going down in flames. <laughs> you know, if, yeah. if you're going to go down, I think it's good that actually the way you're talking, you know, like avoiding risk or, or, or a thought process behind um, life is the same thing in pitching. You know, if you're afraid and you throw a scared pitch, it gets hit every time. But if you just say, screw it and let it eat, man, you get a good result more often than not. Yeah, and the hitters, they can sense that. It applies to that, too. They know yeah. when you're scared. They, they can see you're shaking, you're stepping off. It's like yeah. this dude on the done. Right? How, does it, done. how does it boost his confidence, right? But you're going up there, you know, and you throw everything. Not not max effort, but with 100% intensity, right? I'm convicted. It's an attitude. He senses it. He's like, oh, this dude, this dude nasty. That's right? probably one yeah, of the Kate, hardest yeah. things to, to convey to young pitchers is that 100% conviction versus 100% effort are two totally different things. Yeah. And you got to learn it the hard way in a lot of ways, you know, it's just, and someone's got to take you aside like a Brian McCann and mentor you, right? Hey, this slider is nasty. Like that, that story you told me. Right. But like, he's getting a good look at it. This don't play. And it's like, damn, you know, that makes sense. You know, just, and it takes a couple of times to, to realize that, you know, to be open to it and to, to just, you know, get that experience. And so that's why, that's why veteran leadership isn't going away. It's why it's, it's, I've said, I've told you this a million times. And I've said this a million times is that the, the veteran coach and the veteran scout today is more important than he ever has been. I'll, yeah. I'll say that I'll, I'll go down a flame saying that I don't care. A hundred years ago, people are like, well, they used to be more valuable. Now with analytics, they're less valuable. I'm like, no, they're, they're more valuable with the analytics because yeah, we don't need you to take a radar gun and fill out a form that says, oh, this dude's got a 60 fastball, you know, a 40 present, 60 future, because he throws 91 or whatever. It's like the track man, it tells me that. You know, but what it doesn't tell me, does that kid have an off-season job? You know, where does he go to school? What's his parents like? When he's on the field, does he hustle? What does he do before? Where does he work out? What are the studies? Like, because that's the separator these days. If all the kids have really good stuff that we're drafting and the level's better than it ever has been, that means the separation's – Right, then the separation in talent is lower. Right. Yeah, so if the separation true. of talent is lower, then yeah. what is it? Right. It's Does the case. Who, who's going to work? Who's going to earn it? <laughs> yeah. Well and so you know, what's what's happening today in a big way is that we're devaluing. We have been for the last couple of decades is devaluing kids from junior colleges. They're like, ah, he's a Juco kid, this, that, the other. You know, I was working for an organization and they were telling me, I'm like, yo, this, this dude's legit. 
I'm like, well, he's he's a junior college kid. He's got some he's got some some issues in his past, you know, with marijuana and some other stuff. And I'm like, have you met a big leaguer? <laughs> what are we talking about here? Yeah. What are you talking like? It's that attitude. You know, I'm not saying you got to be a bad person, right? But a guy with an edge is yeah. important, right? And so a lot of that. And so I think that's going to change a lot because the Blue Jays took uh, Nate Pearson out of a junior college. And, you know, he's one of the best. You know, he's 6'8", six, six, throws 100, but he can really pitch. He commands the ball. He's got presence. He's low effort. It's like, whoa, we found that out of a junior college? Mm-hmm. Okay. Like, there might be some guys. And that edge, that indie ball guy you bring in, that undrafted free agent, I mean, that's everything. For me, that's everything. It's, it's, not, it's about having a balance of, of this really elite talent, but also, like, guys that are just going to refuse to fail. And I think that's important. And I think that's, you know, that's a good point because that's the one thing that – as a as a player, I could always tell when guys got called up whether they were going to stick around or not. Just interacting with them, you know, you, you got to be a little different. You got to be a little you know a little wonky up top. You know, you got to be almost a little crazy to play and be able to handle fifty thousand people watching you try to perform and, and all the pressure of the game. And you can see guys that they just they get called up. They look like a deer in the headlights, and you're like, this dude's going back to AAA in two weeks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that yeah. It's uh, a, yeah. So, so you're just to to move forward from your gambling thing. That kind of uh, collapsed when the unlawful Internet Gambling Enforcement Act was passed. Is that kind of put yeah. you out of a job there? Yeah. Well, you know, without that, it wouldn't be any driveline. But if it right. were that, I'd be retired by now. <laughs> so, 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 you, yeah. <laughs> so you went from there to Microsoft, right? Software guy at Microsoft briefly? Yeah, I applied for over 150 jobs. Oh, out of that. Shit. I was just like, look, yeah, wow. it's anywhere, man. I like, uh, you know, the Olive Garden. I'm not joking. I was going to go work at the Olive Garden. Uh, I worked, I applied for a bunch of jobs, but I had a huge hole in my resume. You know, I was gambling yeah. for two and a half years. So I had to make some stuff up, call in some favors, uh-huh. uh, contacted a contracting firm, and walked into Microsoft, uh, applied uh, for an overnight position, you know, working graveyards, and uh, I, I got in. So yeah, I applied for over 150 jobs. Yeah. Because it was also, think about it, it was right in the middle of the great financial crisis. So it's right after, you know, Lehman Brothers collapsed and all those other, you know, finance things. So there's just not a lot of jobs to have. So that didn't stimulate you, though, that and your your wife, were you guys married at the time, right? Yeah, you know, as at Microsoft, I loved it. Uh, I actually got laid off there a year and a half oh. in with a bunch of people. So I, I would have okay. stayed there. Um, but I worked in technology, other companies, and that was not – that wasn't great. Yeah, and uh, my wife you. at the time, yeah, yeah, she and, could tell. And, see, and she was the one that kind of suggested that, hey, you know, do what you want to do. Coach a Little League team. You kind of get involved with that and all that kind of thing. Yeah, I was – yeah, I was kind of been coaching Little League in high school for a little <laughs> bit, and she was happy – or she she loved, you know, she was like, you know, <laughs> you're really happy doing this stuff. And then I was – my boys and I hang out every summer. We've been getting together, uh, the nine of us. For every summer, we rent a cabin and go and just hang out and put the electronics off and just hang out. And, you know, we all do different stuff. One of them's a professional writer. Another one runs a nonprofit. Another other one's a software developer. And we just, like, you know, we go, whatever, shoot guns, put bonfires, play games, hang out, you know. And um, I was going out there probably, like, six, seven years ago and sitting on the ferry to head out to, I think, Bremerton or something. I can't remember where we were at, but we were about to get on the ferry. And he's like, you got to – give up this software development stuff, man. He's like, it just, that's not you. He's like, you're either going to make it in baseball or not. Like just, but you got like, that's what you're going to do. And so you really, that plus my wife being okay with, you know, letting me take this, this chance um, definitely really pushed me over the edge. Cause you need, you need people in your corner. 
you know, do you have any accurate. clue how lofty it was that goal? <laughs> yeah. Like everything, like where you are now, if I told you yeah. you were going to be there th- when you're sitting on that ferry, I mean, what, what would you put the odds at? I would have thought it was impossible, you know, cause I told yeah. this to someone I was telling, I was talking to Andrew Friedman, you know, now the GM of the Dodgers, you know, with the, he was at the Rays, and he's like, why don't you just do that? He's like, why don't you just build a business and get rich? You know, he's, he's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, well, you know, I think if I demonstrate that it works, that like someone's going to hire me as a pitching coach. And he's like, you might be right. He's like, that makes sense. You know? And I'm like, I think, I don't think it's possible to be re- And that's what happens now, right? You start a facility, you get some results on Twitter, a pitching coordinator, someone spots you, someone's like talent scouting and they yeah. hire you. Right. And so that what's happening now is what I thought was going to happen seven years ago. So I would have told you not that I didn't deserve it, but like, uh, cause I had a lot of faith in my work ethic and my ability to produce. I was onto something. I knew it, you know, but I'm just like, that ain't It's not going to, it can't happen. Right. A right. general manager is going to be like, we're going to stop that right now. And we're going to hire this guy. And well, I think it, I got in just under the bar. It couldn't happen 10 years ago. No, no, no no doubt. No, I I got lucky. And that's what kids are like, oh, you know, you worked hard and you deserve it. I'm like 20 years ago, I do the same thing. I'm working at the altar and say, nothing (laughs) happens. 10 10 years from today, if I'm doing it in 2030, I get snapped up and I'm coaching high A and I'm making 70 grand or six. I'm I'm making some money and I'm enjoying life. You know, so it was at a a perfect time. You can't just be right. Yeah, you can't just be, you have to be contrarian. You have to go against what people think. You also have to be right. It's got to be the right time, you know, and people don't yeah. want to hear that luck is a big part of it because it, 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 it feels like it devalues what I've done. And I don't feel that way. And I tell people, oh, I was lucky. And they're like, oh, you're being modest. And I'm like, you're not listening. Like just quitting everything and going all in is no guarantee because if it was, you'd never know who I was. I'd be the best gambler in the world that I'd be rich and you'd never hear of me, <laughs> you know, because like, you want to talk about timing. How about that? My friends who started gambling five years before I did are all worth hundreds of millions of dollars. And like, they don't do anything now, you yeah. know, like, and so, and I could either be bitter about that or I can find the, or next pitch. Right. And that's what I did. Right. Yeah. So, so you got interested in how to train players and how to make them better using science and research, uh, peer reviewed research, that kind of, and you went online to find what research to wear and you realized there's not a lot there. So that's kind of when you said, I can kind of fill this gap or I can do my own research. Yeah. You know, it's just a lot of what was out there was, was not to me the standard of, it didn't meet the standard of what I thought would help uh-huh. players, you know, cause a lot of it was on younger kids or not athletes. Right. Because if I'm going to Eric, if I'm going to, you know, talking to Eric and he's like, you know, what are you about? And I'm like, take a look at all this research I've done on 16 year old kids. He's going to be like, all right, I'm out. You know, <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, I, I don't want to hear cool. that. Right. Like, <laughs> tell me about, you know, tell me about guys that, that I can identify with. Yeah. You know, I, we worked with, and it's, it's today. It's how you talk to the players. And we're working with a big leaguer. And I wasn't because you know, just my, my position with the Reds, but the guy came in, one of the best pitchers, you know, in all of baseball. And his coach, you know, he's like, hey, I'm, I'm so in on him going to driveline. I'm being dead serious. Like, and he's being honest. He's like, he's like, but you can't talk to him. You know, you can't show him a pitch. You know, he's like, if he's got to get his slider better. You can't show him a slider or some dude he's never heard of. He's like, that ain't going to fly. <laughs> yeah. You know? So it's he's like, you know, this guy's pitch, he's, you know, Cy Young, whatever, he's one of the best pitchers. He's like, you gotta, you gotta get on his level. And we're like, oh, okay, yeah. cool, cool. And it's not about him being arrogant, but it's just like, you gotta connect with him because it's his first time. Now you break him in over time. Now it's like, okay, now I can show him some guy right. from AAA or some college guy and he can appreciate that. But if you lead with that, that ain't done. It. It's not gonna work. <laughs> no, no doubt, no doubt, no doubt. 
No, and I'm the not- velocity thing's crazy because, you know, my whole career, we were always wondering that. You know, we had yeah. – nobody had the answers for it, but we would always – We'd always kind of say, you know, I said, how do I throw harder? What do I do? And I tried something different every offseason, but there was never any real research or, or information of here's an exact program that gives you, you know, this percent of shot at it. You know, it was just stabbing in the dark. Hey, Felix is fat. Let me gain 30 pounds. Or this guy, you know, he does this every day and he throws hard. But um, there was no information in baseball before you guys started doing this about really gaining velocity. Yeah, there really wasn't a system. And if there's anything I've done, you know, the information was out there, but it's like get it all into one system and how to do it and, and how to do it respectfully and, and, and reach the people. I think I've, I think that's what we've done. I like this, this description of how you built the first – when you first built the barn out there, you said, I knew I needed to collect some first-party data, and I built a biomechanics lab with some high-speed cameras that were becoming available in the market. So the barn was a chicken wire enclosed strength facility – with batting cages and high-speed cameras and some weighted balls that we started to use around then. So you went from that to where you were just five years later. I mean, that was a pretty rapid ascent, wasn't it? Yeah. It was literally chicken wire from uh, Home Depot, a, a four-by-eight <laughs> piece of plywood with some hinges to make a makeshift door. Um, yeah, and some strength equipment that I bought on Craigslist and some cages that were 60 feet total. So I'm catching bullpens and I'm starting to catch minor leaguers that are throwing like 90, you know, 55 feet. I'm like, oh, that's it, man. I'm not doing this anymore. You know, like, so then that, and then, you know, a lot of credit goes to my partner because he really put it in my head. He's a D3 baseball player. And he's just like, he's like, you know, you should be able to expand this. And and I'm like, I don't know. I, I said to him the same thing I said to Friedman, which is like, you think if it takes off that I'll just get hired and he's like, have you read, you know, stuff by your competitors? Are you, are you really paying attention? Like, not, not really. Right. So he's like, here, I, I bought it when I was playing baseball and he shows me all the information a week later. And I'm like, I got this man. Like I, I can, I can really do this. And he gave me a lot of guidance. And so I brought him on and you know, he, it's been a really great partnership since it, it's all, it's, it's, it's very similar to a good business partnership in a lot of ways that I've come to appreciate because like he and I, I don't know if we're friends, uh, probably not, you know, we don't hang out outside of work. Um, like I, I've seen his wife a couple of times maximum, you know, like Ed, Ed, I've seen his kid twice, you know, like we don't have a personal relationship uh-huh. outside of work, but we work, we are extremely good because we think very similarly about the world, but our skill sets couldn't be different, right? Like mm-hmm. just totally, I, I have the research and development mindset you know, he's got the much more business acumen mindset, the management mindset. And so, and I, I let him do his job. You know, the first thing is, you know, in the documentary, before I think it's mentioned, but the first thing he did, he came in, I gave him total control over the business side. And he cut my salary. <laughs> it was brutal. <laughs> he, cut, he cut my salary and, and he froze spending for six months. He's like, we're not going to spend any money for six months. I'm like, are you kidding? What? <laughs> you know, and I'm, I'm, but like, is he the CEO? Yeah. So I got to let him do the job because if could I, the way I think about it is like, well, how can you not be the CEO? I'm like, am I right now, am I qualified to be the CEO of driveline of a company like driveline? Let's clone it. And I don't control it. Could I be the CEO of that company? No, absolutely no not. Chance. Okay. No yeah. chance. So then why, why should I be the CEO of this company? Oh, cause I started it. That doesn't mean anything. Who cares? <laughs> you know, like, and so for me, it's, it's not an ego thing. It's just about like, do I want to be wrong and win or do I want to be right and lose? And that's the phrase I've, you know, I say all the time. It's like, yeah, like I'm wrong. Okay. I, I don't deserve to be the CEO. You know, and that's that, that hurts, but it's the right decision. 
you know, it, it, it's, it, I'm going to win because of it. Or do I want to be right? And I'm the CEO. I deserve to be the CEO. And then, well, then this company collapses. You know, two That's years not easy to think like that, though. It's not. But gambling really makes you realize it in a hard way. You know, like that's, that's how you <laughs> learn a lot of hard lessons really fast. And so it's good. It, I, I credit it with, with my risk, my, bail, my ability to balance risk uh, because it's the name of the game. Did yeah. you? Uh, at what point did you have to tell your wife I'm quitting my job at uh, at Microsoft and starting this baseball <laughs> facility? You got a, it was you got tough, a you know, kid, you got a baby, right? And a mortgage. Yeah, I just did a kid. You know, another one on the way. So she's pregnant, which is great. Congrats! Uh, you know, yeah, she's just pregnant. We just bought a house at the bottom. Well, to which I didn't know, but we bought it at the bottom of the market. So we just bought a house, probably over our budget anyway. Uh-huh. I'm making six figures. I got great health care. Uh-huh. and working from home three days a week. It's a good job by any measure, um, but I'm just depressed. I hate it. You know, it's like, it's not what I want to do. And I told her, I'm like, look, I, this isn't working out. You know, I really want, and I'm coaching baseball on the side. You know, it's making a little bit of money. And I'm like, I really think I've done the math and I think I can do it. And she basically made me set a deadline. She's like, all right, I'm down. Uh-huh. You know, I support you because you're miserable every day and I'm sick of having a husband that's miserable. <laughs> but also like you got to do what's right for the family, you know, and like, like, so set a date. Like when is this going to, when, at what date will you give it up and then go get a real job? And I'm like, okay. So then we set the date and I blew it out of the water. So yeah, you know, there's always constraints and uh, you know, she's like, I'm not going to tolerate this you know, it's not going to be a lifestyle hobby. Like you either got to, it's either got to work or not. And so that, that kicked me in the pants. It was good guidelines, you know, and then, and then we did. And so then we made it happen. And I, and I always knew I could go back to work. You know, I could always get a job. I had enough faith in myself and I had the humility. Like I'll go work at Olive Garden. I'll go make, you know, as a, as a a really good server busting your ass, you make 30, $35 an hour at a place like that. It's not nothing, you know? So I'm like, look, I will go do that. Like I don't, I don't have any ego about this. And so it never came to that. But, uh, yeah. So that was what, 10, 12 years ago and you are where you are now? Uh, seven. Yeah. Seven, seven <laughs> years ago. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. That's amazing, man. Yeah. It's yeah, it really is. It's what really actually more like six years ago. It's, 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 yeah, it's flown by, you know, Sam, you know, who helped coach Eric, uh, Sam Brand, who's now the director of pitching for the Yankees, you know, he, uh, someone was standing with me next to Sam and Mike Someone's like, how's long, how's Sam, how long has Sam worked for you? And I'm like, oh, it's got to be like, it's got to be like five years. And, and at the time, Mike turns to me, he's like, we, don't, we haven't even been working together for five years. And I'm like, dude, I don't even know, man. I have no idea how, how long <laughs> anything focused. is. You know, Sam, Sam, Sam's like, we've been working together for like 18 months, bro. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> have, you know, you, like, have you guys how expanded much the voice? Have you expanded we, the voice? Yeah, that's, yeah, that's uh, tough tough subject right now (laughs) everything's shut down and we're paying two leases oh so you know we got a we got a forty thousand square foot facility that we can't really move into and so that's tough Um, oh you got a new uh, place that you're just moving into then yeah yeah it's uh it's 10 times the size of the place that eric started at actually so it's uh it'll be it'll be good um you know fortunately because i've got the right ceo you know he was financially conservative he conserved cash and in february he was telling everyone, he's like, this COVID thing, it might be a thing, man. He's like, we got to prepare. We got to save. And everyone's like, yeah, right. We call him Lord Business. And we're like, yeah, right, Lord Business. Yeah, okay, man, whatever. And now he's, uh, now he's like, yeah, right. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, uh, you know, we haven't, we haven't furloughed anyone. We haven't had to lay anyone off. Uh, and that's a testament to his ability to, yeah, you know, to, to manage the business. The business. Right away. How many yeah, got, no doubt. How many you got working for you now? 
uh, just about almost 60, you know, wow. so it's a lot, it's a lot of people to make driveline run people. Yeah. People don't grasp uh, the business side of it. Quote unquote, the business side of it is as large as the training side of it. Mm-hmm. Hey, wow. one thing uh, I always respect about you guys. And I think it's interesting is you don't, you don't seem to have any interest in, basically franchising your name out and opening up a, you know, letting, letting someone in Atlanta start a driveline or somebody in uh, Phoenix start a driveline or something like that. And I guess, you know, it was explained to me that it's a quality control thing. Like you don't want your name on a product you can't make sure is, you know, up to the standard of yours. But I mean, you could cash out, man. You could, if they had a driveline in Atlanta, the, the, yeah. the line would be around the block to <laughs> train there. cop. Yeah. 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 No, we've, We've had a lot of people in Atlanta <laughs> reach out. We've had a lot <laughs> yeah. of people in uh, Arizona, Florida, New York, you know, and they're all like, just let, we'll pay whatever. Let yep. us buy into the business. Let's franchise it. Uh, but what's the, what's the point? You know, like we're going to bet on ourselves, you know, Mike and I didn't get into this to get rich. Cause that's dumb. Mm-hmm. You know, like we go do either of us go do something. So you can go manage money, be a financial analyst and make millions. And I could go just, you know, do something else and probably be okay. You know, like what's the point? Like, uh, so it's not a purity thing. It's, it's just also like, uh, when the time is right, hey, I'll be the first, when the time is right, your boy's going to sell out. Yeah. Well, to, to secure my family, because if it's just me, I don't care. I'll ride this. Thing. I'll go down in flames. I'll drive the car off the cliff. I don't care. Yeah. But I got kids and a wife, so I got to balance my YOLO <laughs> side of, of, yeah. of you know, with what's right for my kids. All of a sudden it's, it's about more than me. Right. And you know this more than anyone. Right. So, um, but at the end of the day, it's just not the right time to sell. You know, it's, it's about, and it's quality control. It's also just doesn't make sense for the growth because we, we, we sell to one person, we don't manage it well. And then that yeah. ruins the value of the business anyway. Mm-hmm. Right. So, and what do we know about running a franchise? I've never run a McDonald's. Mike's never run one. Right. So it's like, how do you control that? It's about being, it's about having some humility. Right. So it's about bringing in the right business people. You know, any number of pro athletes is, as you know, they love to spend their money on ridiculous stuff. You know, any number of pro athletes, big leaguers who made nine <laughs> figures. Yeah. Just like, hey, let me, let me get in on that. I'll, I'll buy whatever. Let me buy into the business. And it's like, it's just not, it's not the right time. <laughs> I'll hit you up. I, I appreciate it, but it starts with respect. Also, you got to yeah. go to them. You know, we, when we, we raised money for debt, you know, we took out a loan from a pack, some pro athletes and some people. And I had to go to Trevor and I had to tell him, you know, get ahead of it. I'd be like, Hey, I'm not asking you for money. Because you're a current big leaguer, I don't think it makes sense. You know, I, I think it's it's a conflict of interest. You know, and like, because Trevor's like, hey, let me know. You know, and he's just like, hey, I respect that. Thank you for coming to me. Because it's not, it can't be personal. It's got to be a business reason, and that's the other reason not to franchise too soon or take on money because it gets personal, and you don't want that. You know, it's just got to be a good business decision. Yeah, it's it's got to be tempting. I've, I've, yeah, I get it though. I mean, I think that's really cool. I respect that. Well. I told you guys it was going to be fascinating. I wasn't lying. That's that's very interesting, man. What a story! You guys win a World Series. You make a movie. Yeah, last step. We'll, we'll see. If we'll play. <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing right now with it, and we can all complain and ah, oh, man, this is such a shitty situation, and it is, you know. But hey, everyone's in it. All thirty teams are in it. Every minor league team is facing it. Right, every minor leaguer is has got to figure out how to get better in this time. Because I'll tell you what, you know, There's coming into twenty twenty one. Well, coming into 2021, the, the disparity of talent is going to be obvious, right? Who right. who prepared? Who did it? Right. Oh, they're going to cut teams, and these players are going to get, and these guys are going to get screwed, mm-hmm. this, that, or the other. It's like, yeah, is there going to be baseball tomorrow, though? There is. You know, do I yeah. got to get better tomorrow? I do. It's a choice. 
right? Like, yeah. yeah, all these things. You think I like it? No. You know, like, they're, oh, these guys might be furloughed. These guys might be caught. It's not fair. Okay. I'm aware of all of that. Guess right. what? Everyone's dealing with it. You know, so like as much as I want to bitch, and I do, don't get me wrong, I'm all, <laughs> I cry like the rest of them on how, how much shitty this is and how much I hate it. You know, but like at the end of the day, like we're all dealing with it. Yeah. So yeah. who's like next year? I, it's going to be crazy. Like these prospects yeah. lists, you throw, I don't have a lot of use for them anyway. Yeah. But like you throw these out the window next yeah. year because if you think Tucker Davidson is a story, there's going to be like 30 of them next year. Yeah. There's going to be like 30 dudes who are putting their heads down maybe six in one organization, none in another, three in another, you know, hopefully we have some with the Reds, right? Yeah. They're going to come out. It's like, yo, this dude throws a hundred. He's got a bastard slider. Like what the heck? Right. And this number, this 30 prospect in baseball, he sucks. Now you're going to see yeah. that it's yeah. going to happen in 2021. And these guys are going to all wonder these big league. There's going to be big leaders throwing a hundred. There's going to be big leaders throwing 85 because just because of what they could control now. And it's going to happen. It's going to, it's going to be a big thing in 2021. And, we got to get our minds right. And a lot of me saying this is reminding myself yeah. that yeah. that's the case. Uh, but the listeners out there too, because they're yeah. going to see it in baseball because come hell or high water, this game is, is stronger than pretty much anything in this country, you know, and we're going to see it. It's America's pastime and it just doesn't stop for anything, right? It's on pause. Yeah. So it's, it's going to come back. And I think people need to remind themselves like, Oh, it's going to change. And we're not going to have baseball next year. We could have base. We could have no baseball for five years, yeah. and it's going to come back and be as better, yeah. better than it was because that's this game, man. You can't stop it, right? So, it, to me, this rant that I'm on a little bit is about respect for the game. It's about like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm fishing, I'm hunting, I'm not doing my work. Right. It's like, well, this game will pass you up, yeah, like, yeah, so well. fast. And so it's about it's to me it's about bettering ourselves and getting ourselves in a position, but it's also about respecting the game because baseball will be here. It's, it's a lesson that people like Eric have learned and come with the greats of the Braves, and, and those guys have come in and said it, I'm sure, a million times. But the game's undefeated. It don't wait for yeah. nobody, right? So the respect you, you got to have. <laughs> no, it doesn't, man. So the respect <laughs> you got to have for it. That's, I guess, my parting message for all of us, whether it's coaches, scouts, or players. You know, it's about putting our heads down and doing what we can. Yep, I agree. I mean, the game well will miss you when you're gone. <laughs> well said. No, it's too good. The game's too good for, for it to miss anyone. Yeah. Hey, it was great, man. We really appreciate all the time you've given us. Uh, sorry to keep you so long. We kind of went, went. No, went this there. is a blast, man. We could yeah. do this for hours. So I appreciate it, man. Thank you so much. We uh, we had a good time. All right, that's Kyle yeah, when, Bodie. When you- Driveline, oh, Driveline in Seattle. And that uh, documentary on, uh, it's fascinating. It's about 18 minutes and you guys will, you guys will really like it. Uh, you can see what he looks like and what he's done out there and what they're, what they're, what they're up to. It's pretty good stuff. Uh, what's it called again? Uh, what the, the documentary on, on uh, YouTube? I forgot. Oh, I actually forget too. It's on, it's watch momentum. It's, it's one of watch momentum's documentaries. It's yeah. outside the diamond. That's it. Uh, outside that's the diamond. Boat, yeah. yeah. All right, cool. Uh, we'll be back on Friday and we appreciate you guys listening. And that is seven fifty five is real. And we are out. Mm-hmm.